Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Today we're going to talk about the ketogenic diet and how it may or may not support exercise performance. We'll look at our current understanding of its use as an approach to health and consider its influence on exercise performance. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. Welcome everyone. I'm Aileen here again with Karen as always. How are you this morning, Karen? Yes, I'm good. Thanks, Aileen. I've been out for my run. I've had a shower, so I'm feeling all fresh and energised. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Oh, my my run got postponed this morning. I had all these plans and then I had an unexpected change of plans. So um, no running, I'm afraid. Not oh, even, that's a shame. Hardly even being outdoors. <laughs> Yeah, best play, laid plans and all of that. I know, I know. So yeah. I'll be uh, take two, do it tomorrow morning instead. But, exactly. Um, yes. That's what happens sometimes. It anyway, does. so today we're talking about the ketogenic uh, food plan. Um, so as always, Karen, just before we get started, um, I thought we'd uh, have a little chat about how we found it, if we've tried it. Uh, there's been a lot of... Um, talk about ketogenic diets and there's more and more people doing it uh, for various reasons um is that something that you've ever tried no actually Elena, i i haven't tried the ketogenic diet for various reasons actually um the principal one is that i don't actually believe in diets per se uh, and and i don't tend to use them at all with when i'm working with my clients mostly because i think many of them um uh, the ketogenic diet and other diets involve removing a food group and um which can potentially lead to imbalance in nutrient intake so I try and avoid that and also I find that very often the benefits are short-lived especially if it's being used as an approach to weight loss Um, and also for myself um, I'm vegetarian so it'd be really difficult for me to maintain the ketogenic diet I think and also being an endurance runner I feel that by reducing my carbohydrate intake it may be detrimental to my performance but is that the case? You know, we will be exploring that. So um, so we'll find out a bit more whether I'm right or I'm wrong regarding um, my approach. How about you, Aileen? Have you, have you tried the ketogenic diet or any other diet? Yeah, well, I've been thinking about this because obviously I knew we were going to be talking about this topic today. And, um, you know, my, my immediate answer is no, I don't have any personal experience of ketogenic. But having reflected on it I actually think there have been periods in my t- in my life where I may have um, inadvertently been doing the ketogenic diet um, so uh, that'll I think uh, I'll reflect on that as we talk today mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll share a few things with you as we go along um, and I think you know with looking back on the, the whole diet um, situation that you just mentioned there. I mean, before I trained in nutrition, I, I think I did a lot of different diets, um, always struggled with weight management from my teens onwards. So 
you know, I tried every diet that there was, um, you know, from being a teenager with, you know, with my mum, with flatmates, you know, it's been various different things over the years. And they all promised the magic bullet. Uh, none of them ever really delivered long term, like you say, you know, things you can get short term results. So I had limited success. And I, I think I'd really describe myself as a classic yo-yo dieter, you know, every few years, it, the way it would go on and then it would come off again. Um, so that was a bit frustration really. Mm-hmm. And and now I, I really follow a food plan, which is very much personalized to uh, not only my health requirements, but also I'm much more confident about flexing my food plan to meet the energy that I require for, for exercise and for, for everyday life. Mm-hmm. Um, I did follow a vegan raw diet for a number of years, which I did really enjoy, um, but like you, there were aspects of that where I felt, particularly as I trained as a nutritionist, I was learning about different um, nutrients and different food groups and realized that they've all got a place. And I felt that I just had to add some of the food groups back in. Um, so although I love um, a raw food plan um, and I still follow elements of it, I don't do that exclusively. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, you know, my I suppose my approach with clients is really to encourage people to implement a personalized plan. So take aspects of different food plans and put them together to make it work for you. So I think it always goes back to that personalized approach, doesn't it? Because one size doesn't fit all. One diet might support somebody depending on what their circumstances and their conditions are. But for someone else, it could be completely detrimental. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that we change during our lives, don't we? You know, mm. things happen. Uh, you know, we we get older, we go through different phases, there are different life loads, things. So we need things. We can't just do the same thing forever. You know, we've got yes. to reassess as we go along. Absolutely. Um, so so let's let's move on and talk about the uh, ketogenic diet, which is essentially low carb, high fat and um, think about how it particularly may support exercise performance because I'm guessing that uh, people that are listening today are wondering about uh, why they should do it and would it actually help them be uh, a better runner. So let's start by um, defining the ketogenic diet and what our current understanding is um, of that food plan as as it may support an approach to good health. And then we'll look at its influence on exercise performance and then translate all of that into some recommendations uh, for you as runners. So, so starting with that, Karen, could you um, describe what the ketogenic diet is? Yeah, sure, really. So basically, the ketogenic diet is what you said earlier. It's sort of low carb, high fat, and it's where the carbohydrates are reduced to a minimal daily intake, but then replaced with a much higher intake of fat. So the ratio tends to be roughly 55 to 60% of fat, 30 to 35% um, of protein, which is quite high in protein as well, because generally we speak about 20 to 25% of protein. But with this particular diet, it moves up to 30 to 35% of protein, and then only 5 to 10% of carbohydrates, which translates into roughly about between 20 and 50 grams per day of carbohydrates. So so thinking about a one-day meal plan and how that could possibly look, um, if we think about breakfast, maybe thinking about having two eggs served with um, sautéed vegetables, could be green vegetables, could be any colour of vegetables really, um, but but the, the non-starchy vegetables. Lunch being um, a burger, ideally grass-fed and or organic if possible, and then topping that with cheese and mushrooms and avocado and having that on a bed of greens. And then dinner, maybe something like baked chicken um, with beans, mixed green beans and, um, and sorted sauteed green beans, but sauteing it in in coconut oil. So that would give you a rough idea of how a ketogenic um, one-day meal plan might look. Yeah, and when you you sort of talk about that typical one-day food plan, that's where I'm thinking, you know, in in times gone past, that would have been my sort of go-to meal plan Mm. just out of 
what I liked eating. You know, yeah. I, I totally dropped the carbs. Um, and, you know, as you know, that served me for a while, but it didn't really help my um, energy levels when I was out running. So, so yeah, it's interesting to just think back on that. Yeah, really. absolutely. Mm. So, that, so it's really important that uh, when um, with any food plan, not just ketogenic, but you really need to think about the quality of the food that you're choosing. Um, so it's important that you you have a healthy food plan, healthy diet, and you maintain that whilst on a ketogenic diet. So I'm thinking about um, how you choose the healthy fats. So there are lots of unhealthy fatty foods available, um, but the important ones to choose are the natural, nutritionally um, fat-containing foods. So, for instance, things like avocado, nuts, seeds, um, the organic meat that you mentioned, organic fish, eggs, um, good quality dairy and also um, oils. So um, as ever, it's like getting nutritionally dense food that's not processed, ideally. Exactly. It's that natural food, isn't it? And it's, it is about the quality of the food choices. And then when thinking about your carbohydrate intake uh, and, and low carb really means avoiding fruits, legumes, beans, breads, grains and those starchy vegetables I mentioned earlier, but also the likes of soft drinks um, and alcohol. Um, although, you know, I say um, remove remove um fruits but low glycemic berries can still be enjoyed but but limited amounts of them at at a time um and i think as most of us probably know carbohydrates are the primary source of energy production in the body tissues but when the body's deprived of those carbohydrates by reducing their intake to less than the 50 grams per day that i mentioned earlier um and when you think about our average intake of carbs is usually between 200 grams and 350 grams a day, it is a huge reduction. Mm. But when you reduce that to less than 50 grams per day, insulin sec- secretion is, is significantly reduced and that body enters into what's known as a catabolic state. So in other words, the breaking down of various molecules to produce the energy because it hasn't got the, the ready available glucose. So so. In other words, the, the glycogen stores, uh, so that's the glucose in its stored form, um, are depleted. And, and therefore, it's forcing the body to go through certain metabolic changes to create energy in another way. And the principal two metabolic processes that come into action when carbohydrates are deprived um, is are the gluconeogenesis and the ketogenesis. So those are the two key um, metabolic pre- processes coming into place. Okay. So Karen, just before we move on, I thought it would be a good idea just to give everyone an idea of what 50 grams of carbohydrate would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So some of the foods that are recommended, uh, you know, we talked about um you know, you can include non-starchy vegetables. So the, the starchy vegetables are the things like the potatoes, the beetroot, the root vegetables, you know, that we all love. Um, so the non-starchy ones are the, the leafy ones and things like cauliflower and all the salady type vegetables. And as you said, some fruits. Um, so a quarter of a cup of, um, you know, certain fruits uh, might might be five grams of carbohydrate. So when you think of a quarter of a cup, that's actually quite a small amount. Um, and you mentioned the the low GL fruits, so things like raspberry, strawberries, blackberries would be good. Uh, you might also want to think about things like melon, um, maybe fresh apricots. Um, so, you know, a small amount, quarter of a cup. And then thinking um, five grams of carbohydrate in the non-starchy vegetables, so um, that would include things like asparagus, celery, cauliflower, um, broccoli, aubergine, leafy greens, mushrooms. So, you know, normally we're talking to people about having half a plate of vegetables. So, you know, if you had, you know, probably I don't know, two to three cups, that's gonna that's gonna take your carbs up to about twenty grams. Um, so you know, it's, even things that you don't think are carbohydrates, 
laden there there are there's an element of carbohydrate in them um, already even though you don't necessarily think of them as being carbohydrate rich foods um and obviously that list isn't exhaustive there's there's tons of different vegetables you could choose from um and also remember that um some of the high fat foods that you eat also contain carbohydrates so it's very rare that you get a food that just has one macronutrient in it so when you when you look at the, the nuts for instance um so um 28 grams of, of almonds so that would be the equivalent of 24 whole nuts so that's a, quite a big portion um but that would include um just over six grams of carbohydrate so you know a snack i would tend to have maybe six to twelve uh, almonds maximum um so again you can see how the carbohydrate just at every meal and snack you're going to be taking on a little bit of carbohydrate and it would be very easy to get to your 50 grams quickly so if you are thinking about um, the ketogenic food plan that's an area you're really going to have to focus on yeah absolutely i would agree with that alien and you know you were saying that we usually have a a normal snack size of nuts would be sort of 10 to 12 nuts isn't it which is half mm. of that portion size but then people are going to be thinking about increasing all those fatty fatty type foods so so maybe mm. 24 yeah. nuts would be a portion on a ketogenic diet and that already is introducing six grams of carbohydrates so it doesn't leave an awful lot left for the rest of the day and accompanying meals so it, it, it like you say it would be really easy to sort of get up to that well, well, 20 grams, very, very easy. Um, and 50 grams as well. It's going to be, yeah, mm. it's, it's, it's definitely something that people need to be aware of is what is the carbohydrate content of everything that they're eating. Yeah. So Karen, could you talk a little bit more about the uh, gluconeogenesis and the ketogenesis that you mentioned earlier? Can you explain those terms in a little bit more detail, please? Yeah, sure. So the the gluconeogenesis is um, another internal way of producing glucose within the body, especially in the liver. That's where most of these metabolic processes occur. Um, um, but, But in this way, this form of producing glucose, it's utilized mostly lactic acid and also the amino acids alanine and glutamine. It will also use another molecule called um, glycerol to produce that energy as well. But, But really, I'm not going to go into any more detail regarding gluconeogenesis um, today because really it's it's the ketogenesis that we want to be looking at. So so what happens with the with ketogenesis? So when the glucose availability so really dropping down to between 20 grams and 50 grams of carbs per day um and 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 doing that over time what happens is that the internal production of glucose is not able to keep up with the needs of the body. And this is when the body then goes into this ketogenesis. It be, it, it, that begins in order to try and provide an alternate source of energy in the form of what's known as ketone, bo- ketone bodies. And these ketone bodies then replace glucose as the primary source of energy. Yeah, I mean, very clever the body, isn't it? It is. It's very clever indeed. Mm. Um, so that the ketone bodies that you mentioned, Karen, um, are a result of the increased breakdown of fats into fatty acids, and the fatty acids are then metabolized several times, and they produce something called beta beta hydroxybutyrate and acetone as well. And um, these basic ketone bodies. Um, are the ones that accumulate in the body if a ketogenic diet is sustained over a period of time. And initially, it takes a few days to move into ketosis. Um, and then, you know, up to about eight weeks to be completely fat adapted. So that's if the keto diet is sustained sort of consistently day in and day out over a few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And it is about this consistency, like in anything, it's about the consistency that's going to lead to the results. And and this metabolic state is um, generally referred to as nutritional 
ketosis. Um, but, but like I say, the body does need to be deprived of carbohydrates chronically to remain in this ketotic state, as, as, as it's called. So there's lots of scientific words in this. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you can easily check if you are remaining in ketosis by using what's known as ketone urine sticks. So very easy to use. And, um, and you can just put them in the flow of the of the urine and then it will it will change color and let you know if you're still in in ketosis and they can be bought in chemists like boots or somewhere and um, but also online from the likes of amazon and um, and some other companies as well so what you could do is check on a regular basis to just to ensure that you are maintaining that nutritional basis now that regular basis could be every couple of days, every week, which uh, whatever works for the individual. Yeah, I mean, I, I've used the uh, these um, ketone sticks in the past. Um, my experience is that for me, it took several days to get into ketosis um, and it didn't take very much to come out of ketosis. <laughs> so right. this is where, you know, depending on I suppose how sensitive you are, just by having a tiny little bit more carbohydrate than is recommended, I would come out of ketosis. So, um, and I was sort of testing every day um, when I when I did it. I think I've still got some in the bathroom cabinet. The things that um, the nutritional therapist has in their bathroom. Yes, absolutely. Interesting. Um, well, Aileen, thinking yeah. about that, then would you recommend that if you wanted to ensure you were still in ketosis, that you do check on a daily basis? I think so for the first, certainly for the first few weeks. Um, And I think what it does is, you know, if you're very dedicated and you really want this to be something that you follow, um, I suppose it it helps you see if you've changed your food plan in any way, Mm -hmm. the impact it has very quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, and obviously for some people, they're not going to need to do that all the time. But, you know, I think if you if you did it for a period of weeks, then you would start to notice, oh, yeah, you know, I had a bit more fruit that day or, you know, I fell off the wagon and ate a slice of bread or something like that. Yes. You know, that kind of thing would then start to um, – well, it's a good way of just checking in with yourself, I think. And it's yeah. a cheap, it's a cheap thing to do. It's not expensive. Um, you know, so yeah, I think and it's interesting, isn't it, to see how your yeah. body's responding. Mm. Absolutely. And it keeps you on track, like you say. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to um mention here that at the natural um sort of the nutritional ketosis state is considered to be quite safe because um ketone bodies are produced in small concentrations without any alterations to blood pH. But this is this is completely different to ketoacidosis, which people may have heard or you might read about. And that's a life-threatening condition where ketone bodies are produced in very large concentrations and that can alter the blood pH to an acidic state. And that's known to be linked to complications of um, DMT1 where blood sugars are uncontrollably high. So um you know in the normal situation you shouldn't be too worried but if you've got any particular worries you should you know yeah exactly especially like, mm. especially like you say Aileen that diabetes type one not so much mm. a diabetes type two but the diabetes type one where the blood sugars can become uncontrollably high is when and and I think in that um sort of uh, ketoacidosis you can actually smell it on the breath as well it's, mm. it's so it's so prominent yeah yeah and that, yeah that's another good point sometimes when people first start going on to a ketogenic diet they do notice that breathy smell but you know that often can go once you're in you know it disappears once you have made that adaptation I suppose in your body um so so the the ketogenic diet's been around for for quite a long while and many people follow it uh, certainly in the short term um so Karen what are the advantages and the positive influences of the um of this food plan Yes, yeah, you're right, Aileen. The, the ketogenic diet um, has been around for quite some time, actually. In fact, it was first discovered um, or first thought about in 1921 um, when a, a Dr. Russell Wilder from the Mayo Clinic in the States discovered it as a treatment for epilepsy. 
Um, and, and actually, it was him that coined the term ketogenic diet. And um, from from him um, discovering it as a treatment for epilepsy, it was actually used as a therapeutic intervention for child epilepsy for almost a decade. But then along came the anti-epileptic medications um, and then the diet at that point appeared to be dropped. But But sort of interestingly, in more recent years, there have been further studies, again, looking at it um, into, and into its benefits for epilepsy, um, but also other neurological conditions um, as well. And I'm thinking here of the likes of dementia, but also um, traumatic brain injury. So it has been sort of re reignited. That interest has been reignited in the me- medical world around it around the ketogenic diet and how it might support um, neurology in many ways. Yeah, and there's been a lot of research um, around its potential to support um, lots of different health conditions, as you mentioned, Karen. So um, acne being one of them, uh, cancers, particularly brain cancer, um, metabolic disorders, weight loss um, is, is probably the most common one that people would um, think of, um, and then potentially exercise performance. But as you said, let's let's see what what we uncover today and see if it uh, is something that will help our exercise performance. And although the diet's thought to be helpful in the short term for weight loss, it's been found to be unsustainable in the longer term, which is what we really touched on at the beginning of the episode, and that could lead to rebound weight gain. And, you know, when I'm just like thinking back, uh, you know, when I, you know, followed that sort of plan without really thinking about it of being a ketogenic diet, it just, you know, I was dropping carbs and, um, and it worked for quite a long while and my weight was great, but there came a point where, my performance just couldn't be sustained and my energy levels were low. And and I think, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that, that's my big reflection yeah. in the past. <laughs> yeah, and it is really interesting that you speak about those side effects that you had in the, the long term and the detrimental effects of it in the longer term for you, Aileen, because, you know, it, 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 studies have shown that the diet can potentially lead to dehydration for some people, but also um, electrolyte disturbances, also hypoglycemia, which clearly is going to impact on on energy and performance, but also vitamin and mineral um, deficiencies. So it could be that for you, um, you were maybe moving into some of these side effects the longer that you use the ketogenic diet. Mm. And then again, in, in, in the longer term, again, it is thought that it could um, lead to um, kidney stones and also non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. So really, if if anybody does suffer from any liver or kidney dysfunction, then it certainly wouldn't be a diet to to consider with these individuals, I would say. Mm. So um, what we're saying is care, care and caution is required and um, this following this food plan may lead to significant health issues in some people. Um, but we've always got, to, always got to remember that everyone's experience will be different and uh, personal to them. Um, so Karen, just to summarise before we move on. Um, so the ketogenic diet has been around for a long time, over a century, in fact, and this low-carb, high-fat style diet encouraged the body to create ketone bodies to utilize as an energy source instead of glucose. And it appears to have been used with some success in pediatric epilepsy in the early part of the 20th century. And it's grown in popularity in recent years as an approach to weight loss. Um, it seems to be quite successful in the short term but it does um, appear to lead to some detrimental health issues that we certainly need to be aware of just so that we can keep a check on them. Um, and that needs to be considered um, by everyone. Um, and then, as you mentioned, there are you know certain groups of people that this plan would definitely not be recommended. Okay, so um, now let's think about the ketogenic um low-carb, high-fat diet and its influence on exercise performance. Um, So, Karen, what can you tell us about this? Well, um, 
up until recently, really the only published research into this approach, actually, and its effect on endurance exercise was a study completed by a chap called Finney and his fellow researchers back in 1983. Um, But then, leaping forward in 2016, there were two separate studies carried out on um, ultra-endurance runners, but also uh, and triathletes. But none of these um, these studies at all looked at performance on mm-hmm. the ketogenic diet. So am I correct in thinking, Karen, that the Finney study was carried out in 1983 and that that's the one that's often cited as the seminal study showing that the fat oxidation increases performance yeah so so you're absolutely right Aileen you know many people who suggest that the chronic use of fat as the primary energy source does increase exercise performance and when they're when they're speaking about this and promoting the ketogenic diet um, as as um, a support for performance they quote the study but it's not actually what Finney established you know in in at the end of his in the conclusions of his study um, he stated and I quote what he said these results indicate that aerobic endurance exercise by well-trained cyclists because that's who the was looking at was not compromised by four weeks of ketosis. So saying that it wasn't compromised is different from saying it enhances performance. Mm. So, and, and, and I think that's where people manipulate data. Mm. Um, so, so then in 2017, Louise Burke and her colleagues, and we we speak about Louise Burke quite a lot um, in our podcast. Um, she they decided to undertake a, a three week study on elite race walkers, and they were comparing the ketogenic diet alongside um, a a high-carb diet, so a chronic high-carb diet or the traditional one for endurance, but then the more modern periodized carbohydrate diet. So so manipulating the carbohydrate intake depending on what type of training um, was being carried out, what type of exercise was being carried out. Now, she wanted to explore the the potential performance effects. So this really was sort of moving on to what are the performance effects? Does it enhance performance? Um, this ketogenic diet, and she wanted to look at it um, regarding the training intensity of competitive endurance athletes. So so she named I don't know why, but she named this study the Supernova One. And then she did a follow-up um, study in 2020 called the Supernova Two. So, um, she, she, yeah, she 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 completed a second one just to see if the the results from the first one were consistent in the second one. Yeah, it's uh, just a couple of things that are just popping into my mind before we we talk about the out- outcomes yeah. of, of the 2017 study. Karen is first of all, I'm thinking. You know, we talked about it taking a few weeks for people to be fat adapted. So I wondered if, if that was part of the, the study. And also, um, you know, the, pe- the the period of which they were studied, you know, it's quite a sh- three weeks is quite a short period of time, isn't it? It is. It is. But but she she um, maintained that it was long enough for ketosis to be occurring like you said to be completely fat adapted um it, it takes potentially longer but for ketosis to be in place is 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 shorter so that was the justification for the period of time okay so what were the outcomes of that study karen so she established that um across those three different dietary approaches that i mentioned um there was um an increase in peak aerobic capacity so all of them increased their um the capacity their oxygen capacity from between three percent and seven percent but interestingly the ketogenic diet showed the highest level of whole body um fat oxidation so fat utilization of all the three approaches and also across varying speeds and intensities of training 
Um, and these benefits are what have been suggest suggested in other studies that had been completed in the past as well. But what she noted was that the shift and substrate um, utilisation from, from carbohydrates to using fat as a fuel led to a failure in the athletes achieving enhanced performance over a 10k distance she used um, that was actually achieved by the athletes um, taking part in the high carb and the periodized carb diet. So the, those two had shown an improvement in performance. However, with the ketogenic diet, there wasn't that increase in performance. Yeah. So basically what you're saying, Karen, that there's some benefits to burning fat as fuel, but these benefits do not lead to enhanced exercise performance. Exactly, exactly that, Aileen. And like I said earlier, the that supernova study that she completed again in twenty twenty showed exactly the same results. Um, and I think I think it's important to point out here though that um Finney's study in, in his study, he was observing exercise at moderate intensity, so that 60 to 70 percent VO2 max, whereas um, Burke's study was looking at athletes undertaking race pace training. So and it is thought that athletes that are maybe um, exercising at a more modest intensity have the time and opportunity actually to increase that oxygen uptake. Um, therefore, the ketogenic diet may might not reduce the performance, which is what is what Finney established. Okay. Whereas with the when you're doing it at a higher intensity, higher rate, it could lead to detrimental effects. Mm, okay. So what um, Louise Burke was suggesting is that that high intensity race pace um, in that situation, carbohydrate is the substrate that appears to support enhanced exercise performance. Yeah, exactly. That is that is absolutely what she is saying. However, and as we said before, you know, Louise Burke doesn't dismiss the idea of training um, in a low carbohydrate state but only in certain situations. So she's a real supporter of the train low and fuel for the work required concepts, um, which both suggest periodizing your carbohydrate intake um, and deliberately training with low internal and or external carbohydrate availability, but it's all very strategic. Um, and another concept, actually, that is becoming uh, more recognised is the sleep low idea. So that's where there's a delay in replacing muscle glycogen levels after a training session um, is done to promote that greater cellular adaptations to the training and therefore supporting um, performance. So I'm thinking here of maybe having carbohydrate meal before evening training, but then not having any carbohydrates after training, going to bed sleeping, training in the fasted state in the morning, and then introducing carbohydrates again. So it is sort of looking at manipulating carbohydrates in many ways, really. So it's not always about carbohydrates being high. It's about using them in a strategic way to support mm. the, the training and adaptations. Yeah, I quite like that concept. That's an easy one to follow, depending on what training you do in the next day. I suppose that would indicate what you would eat the night before. Yeah, yeah. So what? So what? Um, you know, the conclusions from what you're saying there, Karen, is that the ketogenic diet is beneficial for individuals exercising at a low or moderate intensity over short, shorter distances to help maintain performance, um, but it doesn't necessarily lead to enhanced performance. But if you're doing a long distance or an ultra endurance activity, as well as the short distances completed at the high intensity speed, um, it would appear that carbohydrate would still be the energy substrate of choice. Mm, absolutely. So I'm going to sort of just again, things popping into my head, Karen, I hope you yeah. don't mind. But, you know, I was like thinking if you were an ultra runner, would there not be some benefits from, um, you know, being able to use fat as a, as a fuel? 
Yes, there is benefits to that, Aileen, and that's where um, this sort of train low, sleep low actually comes into to being where you are um, you're manipulating the body to be efficient at utilising fat as fuel. And that's really important for a distance runner because you want them to be really efficient at doing that over really long distances. However, when it's ultra-distance um, events, there comes a, a, a place where you, although you may be going at a slower pace, or sometimes not, that intensity, because of the distance, the intensity is high. So the carbohydrates are going to be needed. Those glycogen stores are going to be needed at some point. You're going to pass that lactic, that lactic threshold and you're going to need to tap into the carbohydrates to give you that energy to keep going till the end. So right. that is the reason why a ketogenic, potentially a ketogenic, like I said, there's a lot more more studies need to, to be, mm-hmm. research needs to be done into this. But but at the moment, the theories and the thinking behind all of this is that carbs would still need to be tapped into or that glycogen stores would still need to be tapped into. Great. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Not that I'm an ultra runner or ever will be, but it's just interesting. It's just interesting yes. to know. Okay. So yeah. um, another question, Karen, is um, to really just explore a bit about um, why the idea of using fat as an energy substrate to, to improve performance is, is currently being investigated. Why is that going on? Yeah, that's a really good question, actually. And, um, and, you know, like I said earlier, there was the 1983 study that suggested that um, fat as an energy source didn't reduce performance. So then in 2014 and 2015, um, Tim Noakes and another researcher called Volick began to explore this strategy again. Now, their argument was that even the leanest of athletes have an abundance of internal fat stores besides the limited carbohydrate stores that we have. And we always speak about carbohydrates being the limiting factor, don't we, because mm. the stores are limited. So they were saying that potentially fat as fuel could be more efficient and lead to better performance in endurance athletes. Um, and in fact, a high-fat diet Um, is known to increase the release, the transport and the uptake and utilisation of fat. So by eating a high fat diet, you are naturally increasing the the body's ability to metabolize and use fat as fuel so so that was their their theory which is a really interesting um, concept I think and, and an understandable question to want to research. Mm. Yeah, and as you said earlier, Karen, it's that shift in substrate utilisation, so the shift from using carbohydrate to fat as fuel um, has meant, you know, it means that there's no performance in exercise performance. Um, So are there any reasons around that? Yeah, so 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 yeah, it's an like you're saying, it's an interesting, or I said it's an interesting concept. But the 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 um, studies have shown that there's no improvement in exercise performance. So so why? And and really, um, the one theory is that it's because the increased rate of fat metabolism and utilisation results in this reduced exercise economy. So to explain that a bit more, economy is the the increased oxygen demand at a given speed. So what this theory is suggesting is that in a ketogenic style diet, there's an increased demand for oxygen to convert fat into its energy substrate. Therefore, there's actually less free oxygen available to support what we know as ATP, so that energy um, currency production, which is then limiting the exercise capacity. So it's 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 quite intricate, but basically what that's saying is that it it takes it, it takes so much more energy to convert fat. Therefore, that's being taken away. That conversion process is being taken away from the 
production in that energy cycle of the ATP, which is our our um, energy currency. Therefore, it's going to affect um, exercise uh, capacity. Yeah, that that makes sense. So, so that's really explaining why an athlete exercising at a low to moderate intensity could give them the time and the opportunity to increase oxygen uptake and availability. And in that case, the ketogenic style diet may not be so detrimental to their performance. Exactly that, Aileen. doesn't mean to say that it's going to increase their performance, but it might be less detrimental to their performance. Um, and another theory is that a, a ketogenic diet um, downregulates carbohydrate metabolism and utilization um, and uh, which is clearly known to impair performance but like I said earlier um, I think more studies need to be done but but also sort of going back to that um, that down regulation of carbohydrate metabolism and utilization some other studies have shown that there's no detrimental effects to glycogen stores so there is a need um to do the research um to 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 get some um definitive answers um to see if this this type of diet um is is in the long term a help or a hindrance to to exercise and exercise performance yeah and i think you know as ever you know we're all individuals and if you're going to try something monitor how it affects you and see how you get on with it and if it doesn't work change it um yeah. But, uh, but, you know, be realistic about whether it's it's something that's, you know, why, what are your reasons for doing, it, I suppose, and be realistic about what the outcomes might be. Um, exactly. oh, oh, sorry, Karen, I spoke over you. There. No, that's OK, Aileen. I'm just thinking that um, maybe we need to, to move on. But just before we do that, I'll just give a quick summary of what we've just discussed, because it is it is a bit complex. Um um, so, so as is always the case, I think, you know, the studies into the ketogenic diet and its impact on exercise performance, especially endurance exercise, is limited. But from the research that um, is available, it does appear that um, there are several benefits to the ketogenic diet. And that includes that increase in peak aerobic capacity and an increased um, level of whole body fat metabolism and utilisation but these benefits don't appear to translate into increased exercise performance, especially exercise that's um, done at high intensities and also endurance exercise, um, especially at speed. Uh, this is mainly thought to be due to the increased demand for oxygen and the conversion of fat into its energy substrate and or the downregulation of carbohydrate metabolism and utilisation. But as always, you know, more research is required to substantiate really all the various theories that we've discussed. So, um, so Eileen, I'm just thinking before we do move on, shall we just pause for a short advert break? Yes, yes, that would be perfect. Um, so this is a moment in the podcast or the episode rather where Karen and I take a minute just to um, touch on what we do outside of the podcast. So Karen and I are just like you, we're busy working women. Uh, we run for health, fitness, achievement and a bit of fun. Um, and over the years, even as nutritional therapists, we've had our own personal running performance struggles. However, uh, we've resolved those struggles with a foundational healthy eating plan and we've fine-tuned it with sports nutritional principles and that's helped us maximise our running performance and minimise injury. And um, as a result of all of that, we, we turned our plans, uh, our nutrition plans, into um, an online programme called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. And it's basically a short and sweet video programme and you can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks, or you can take as long as you want to. So you can work through the program at your pace. Um, so if you've been listening today and thinking you'd like to know more about how to apply everyday nutrition alongside sports-specific nutrition, uh, this program's a really great place to start. And it gives you lots of information and easy action steps too. And basically what you get is um, a short video on different topic 
and an action step. And if you follow through and put all the action steps into place, you'll find that you've got an easy nutrition plan and that's going to support your good health as well as uh, your running performance. And, and over and above that, you get access to Karen and I to be able to ask uh, one-to-one questions um, through our Facebook group and also through uh, an email uh, forum. So if this is of interest to you, you'll find out all about the program on our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. If you look at the top menu bar, click on the online program, and you'll see all the details about the program there. And if you have a read and have any questions that you want to ask before signing up, uh, drop us an email at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll be happy to um, help you out there. Great. Thanks very much, Aileen. Okay, so now let's move on and think about translating all the current research theories that we've spoken to into recommendations for all of you out there, all our listeners, and your running training. Um, And I think really for anyone considering or maybe already following um, a ketogenic style diet, I think it's important to reiterate that it, that you could potentially be depriving your body of a major food group. Um, and the foods within, I think it's worth remembering that the foods within the carbohydrate containing group do provide other vital nutrients as well, including many vitamins and minerals, as well as the carbohydrates for energy. So this is definitely something to consider and to think about and ensure that you are getting optimal nutrient intake. And also, like we mentioned earlier, this type of diet is known to lead to to the likes of dehydration, potential electrolyte disturbances um, and hypoglycemia. And all of these could um, have detrimental effects on running performance. And when you think that the likes of um, distance running, running in the heat can affect dehydration, your hydration status and your electrolyte balance anyway if you're following this diet type of diet potentially you're increasing your risk of um of of sort of uh, moving into these situations yeah that's a really good point karen and um, you know obviously today we're looking at this diet from a performance viewpoint um but we've mentioned earlier that um the diet has some success with specific health conditions, including epilepsy. So that might be beneficial to some people. Um, but the thing that I think really stands out for me from our conversation, Karen, is that utilizing fat as fuel um, has some benefits, but also that our recommendation of um, fasted state running at low intensity, so during the moderate um, and short distance runs, still stands firm that's something that we we talk about often and um so our our recommendation for everybody is that when you're um thinking about running in a fasted state we recommend that this is for runs of 90 minutes or less at an easy pace and um ensuring that following um that that run that you have a carbohydrate rich breakfast afterwards so something like porridge or overnight oats or maybe um you know something that's toast with uh, a topping that kind of thing would be really uh, important to to consider for your nutrition plan yeah absolutely Aileen I, I completely agree with that and um, like we've said before it is and I said earlier it it is really um, helpful to become efficient at utilizing fat as fuel because that can really help preserve glycogen stores for when when it's in demand, really, the glucose is in demand later, especially in an endurance event. So, so yes, there is a place for the for the fasted state running and trying to become fat efficient, um, but not to the detriment of your carbohydrate intake. And I also think. Um, Fasted state running sits really well with the train low principle that we mentioned earlier. Um, but, but really, these theories are about using the macronutrients strategically, so manipulating the benefits for overall perfor- performance. They are not about the, cr- the chronic sort of reduction or removal of any food group. 
so that all the food groups are, are, are being utilised. Um, and, and then again, thinking about that fueling for the work required, this is a relatively new concept, but one I think makes a, an awful lot of sense. And uh, we do talk about all of this, actually, um, so do these the, the train low and the um, fueling for the work required in episode 28 um, of the podcast when we speak about nutrition periodization for runners. Um, so it really worth maybe um, listening to that. If this is an area that really interests you, maybe listening to that. But but just really to, to recap on this fueling for the work required, it is all about using the macronutrients strategically again, but on a day-to-day and within-day basis. So it might go up and down during the same day based on what the training load is. And um, and again, in this approach, all the macronutrients are important, but their intake is just adjusted depending on that training demand for them. Great advice, Karen. So um, I'm just wondering now if the ketogenic diet could be ni- manipulated in some way to support run training. So one of the things that um, I've read about or I've heard about is something called targeted keto. And this is where you you follow a keto plan, but you consume your carbohydrate allowance for the day in one go. Um, So approximately 60 to 90 minutes before a training run. Um, So the idea here is that you use carbohydrate as a fuel before your body steps out of ketosis. So you're actually using it up uh, during your run. And the idea is that you your body wouldn't go into um, that out-of-step position. Mm, that's a really interesting idea, Aileen. Not something I, I I know about, but maybe it's something that needs to be explored a bit more through the research and and research linked to um, to sports performance to see if that is a way around it. Um, and another potential approach that um, I've heard about, don't know a huge, huge amount about it, is the cyclical ketogenic diet. Now, this is where an athlete would cycle between a keto and carb loading food plan. And during the carb loading cycle, you would consume between 400 grams and 500 grams of carbohydrates to help replenish the glycogen stores for those prolonged or intense exercise sessions. Um, but like I say, this this is a, an approach that I don't know an awful lot about. And my immediate thinking on it is that you know, how can you maintain nutritional ketosis if you're continually cycling between a ketogenic and a high carbohydrate diet? But then if we we go back to what we spoke about before and that it only takes a few days to go into ketosis, uh, although you're not fat adapted, could it work? It, 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 it's, it is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it, the research certainly at the moment would suggest that it's really the chronic intake of a high fat diet that, that leads to the potential benefit, beneficial effects. You know, maybe and again another idea is maybe that the ketogenic diet would have a place um, um, for, for an athlete during the rest phase. Um, in that yearly training cycle. Um, but I think really this episode is raising as many questions as answers, mm. Aileen. So it, definitely. Is, it certainly is. There's a lot of questions yeah. going through my mind. I mean, that cyclical ketogenic diet and even the um, targeted keto, you know, for somebody like me who, you know, I, would, I don't think I'd ever need four or 500 grams of carbs, but, you know, maybe once a week I do a long run and maybe that would give me confidence that, you know, I had the right nutrients to get me through that long run but the rest of the week I could um you know follow keto so yeah it's it's, it's interesting I think it's something that you know you have to experiment with and um, you know again goes back to what I said earlier about is why are you doing this what are your goals and uh, and is it serving you to do this from a lifestyle point of view as well as um you know whatever your um health and, and performance goals are Mm, definitely definitely. so so moving on Karen I'm just thinking are there any um, female factors that we should be considering regarding the ketogenic diet and running 
Yes, well, thinking about the diet and its use for weight loss um, and also blood sugar control, um, interestingly, it has been found to have less positive effects in females compared to males, although it possibly is more there are more females who use it than males I don't know actually I don't know what the percentages are males to females with the ketogenic diet but I think generally and this is a generalization there are more women trying different uh, uh, different methods to try and lose weight um, and one of the theories regarding uh, it being less effective for females than males is that um it's linked to the interplay of estrogen. So one study, it was on female mice, right enough, showed that um, mice with no ovaries um, had a more positive response than ones still releasing estrogen. So the thought there is that, um, that the ketogenic diet may potentially be more beneficial in postmenopausal women. But again, you know, that's a very early, very early type um, research looking at mice rather than in humans. So it needs to be sort of um, researched a bit further. But I think my response to to this information is that, like I say, that the, the study is on mice, not on women. So can we really translate that data into the female population? Um and also these results still don't take away from the fact that this diet is difficult to maintain in the long term um, and moving away from the diet again, like we spoke about in the beginning, Aileen, could then lead to that rebound weight gain. Mm. So so as we've already discussed, um, you know, following this type of plan, you could be removing a complete group of food, a complete food group that's important for general health um, and also many female specific aspects of health, including sex hormone balance and blood sugar control and cortisol stability. And, and if you're a regular listener, you'll know all about that and why it's important. Um, so, Karen, I'm really conscious of time because this has been such a big topic. We've talked mm. quite a long time today. So I think it, we, we should round up here. Um, so I think what we're, you know, we're saying is that at this time, we don't personally advocate a ketogenic diet as an appropriate approach to fueling your running, especially if you're looking for enhanced performance. Um, but, you know, there may be aspects of it that there's a place for you as an individual um, so that, you know, what we're really looking for for, for any sports outcome is improved performance. Uh, usually, usually that's our reason. Um, so before we close, Karen, could you um, round up the, the key takeaways from today's discussion? Yeah, sure, Aileen. So my key takeaways from today would be um, that the ketogenic low-carb high-fat diet, to give it its full name, is one where um, the carbohydrate intake is reduced to a minimal daily intake and it's replaced then with a much higher intake of fat. And the diet does appear to have a place in medicine as an adjunct treatment um, for certain medical conditions, for example, epilepsy that we mentioned earlier. There is limited research, though, into this the use of this diet and its effects on exercise performance. Um, and the studies carried out to date don't appear to suggest that it improves performance, which clearly improved performance is is always the main in or generally the main income of following um, sports nutrition. So, but the, the studies do suggest that the ketogenic diet could increase peak aerobic capacity, although it doesn't enhance the performance. Um, ketogenic diet also though does appear to have several side effects including an increased risk of um, conditions such as dehydration, electrolyte um, disturbance, um, low blood sugar, and also potentially vitamin and mineral deficiencies. And also, it has been shown to be unsustainable in the long term, and when used as a weight loss strategy, can, res can potentially result in rebound weight gain when it's then removed. And then finally, Aileen, like you have said that, you know, I wouldn't really recommend this approach for running performance. 
we uh, would suggest really a more balanced diet and using the different, all of the different macronutrients, but using them strategically to manipulate um, um, sports and running performance and, and using, so really using the macronutrients to manipulate their performance enhancing capabilities because they all have the capability of um, supporting and enhancing uh, performance, but all being used in, in different ways. Thanks, Karen. I think that's a really important point to end on and one that we both feel strongly about. Um, so I hope everybody's enjoyed uh, this topic. And uh, remember, everyone, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for Women's Changing Bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months, and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.